this. And that's my point. It's like, you know, but when you're looking for something to just be irritated about, you know, you, you're going to find it because that's just what it is. All right. Right, 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 right. Okay. All right. Yeah. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us mankind, with the pure light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of the gospel teachings. Implant in us all of the fear that blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires will be entered upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as well pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ our God, and unto thee we ascribe glory. Together with thy Father, who is everlasting, and all holy, and good, and life giving spirit, now and ever, to the ages of ages. Amen. Amen. If it gets loud, go ahead and shut that door. If it gets loud. Saha! We Arabs bless you when you cough, not when you sneeze. Father Michael? Yes. Um, Lexi Powell gave birth. About a half an hour ago. Oh, very nice. Wonderful. Is it a boy or a girl, Alan? It's their third girl. Oh, <laughs> good it. for her. And her grandfather and father were fo our football coaches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. All right, we're back into Matthew. We're in chapter 12, verse 15. So just to give us a little bit of context, because the first verse is say, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. What's the this? we got to read back. So why don't we start with verse 14, and let's go through 21. James, would you read for us? James. Did it catch you off guard? Oh, not at all. <laughs> I've been listening. We've been praying with you. Wonderful. Good. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Isaiah, servant of God. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was uh, spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. I bruised a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not squench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Hmm. Am I still on? No, that's good. Thank you. I'm trying to turn off my phone. You mean you weren't listening? Did I catch it? <laughs> I was Playing right when you said Gentiles hope, and then it rang. It was, ah. it was like the closing bell. That was me getting you off me reading. See? <laughs> ah, there you go. All right. Thank you, James. That's all right. So, so most of this section is, as you can tell, a prophecy from 8 to 21 is a quote from, from Isaiah. But taking in from verse 14, which we already read last week, but we need to read it in terms of what is he, uh, 
aware of. So the Pharisees went out to counsel against him how to destroy him. And Jesus, aware of the fact that they're doing this, withdraws. And then he followed him and he healed them all. This is, by the way, one of the few times that we hear of Jesus healing everyone. Typically, he heals one. We don't hear about him healing everyone. This is one of those times where he did. Um, but he ordered not to make ordered them not to make him known. And this is where it's a little bit, we got to really think hard on this one. Because this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. What was to fulfill it? Jesus healing them and ordering them not to make him known. That's, that's the this. Okay? And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. So look at the prophecy quoted in verses 8 through... Um, sorry, 18. Mine is a typo. 18 through 21. And how does that fulfill what was spoken by the prophet? How does Jesus healing them and order not to make him known? It's not really clear right away, is it? No. <clears throat> so in your version of, of uh, verse 18, it, mine says, behold, my servant whom I have chosen. Does, does your version say, use the word servant as well? It does. What does the other, other say? Behold, Same my one? servant whom I have chosen. Yeah. Okay. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. Mm -hmm. What was the question? Can you repeat it, please, Father? Yeah. So if you look at 17, it says, this was to fulfill a spoken by the prophet. Then he gives the, the quote. The this is referring to many followed them. He healed them all. And he ordered them not to make him known. So Jesus... This is what uh, scholars sometimes call the messianic secret. Jesus will do something and he'll say, don't tell anybody. So he, he's ordered them not to make him known. Who's the them? The people that he's healed. And all that together, the healing com combined with the order not to make him known, is what Matthew is telling us. That was to fulfill what was spoken of the prophet. Now, if the prophet said... And my servant will go around and heal many people and tell them not to say anything. That would be a lot more clear for us, right? But it doesn't say that. So how does what Jesus said and did fulfill this prophecy? That's the question. He's ongoing. He's not quite revealing himself. Is it? I mean, he's in that in that section. He's saying. Um, I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles, but nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets, a bruised reed he will not break. In other words, he's not, he, this is his, he's in progress. He's not totally okay. revealing himself. Okay, so these healings aren't necessarily the end goal. No. Right, okay, if the healings are the end goal, it would make more sense to say, okay, because he healed them and he was going to heal them all. Okay, so good. Yeah, you're on to it because whatever he's here to do is not summed up in the healing. The telling them not to make him known is that he can continue to do what he's here to do. Now, that's, that's the good introduction. So what is he here to do according to the prophecy? One, in verse eight, we see that, or 18, he is God's servant. His, his, he's beloved to God. And think about this, how beautiful this is. My beloved, with whom, my translation, with whom my soul is well pleased. Is that, you're saying, okay. So you don't hear, typically hear of God talking about his own soul. But to his core, to the core of who he is, he's well pleased. He'll put his spirit upon him. 
right? We already saw that way back in chapter, I think it was three or four, right? Remember at the baptism, the spirit rests upon him. And he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And then we're going to hear again that in 21, again, his name um, will the Gentile, and in his name will the Gentiles hope. So Gentiles is a key part of this in terms of what his end goal is. Um, how about uh, till he sends forth justice to victory? Okay. Yeah, and contact the the free the verse before that is really key to that. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick till he brings justice to victory. What is a bruised reed? Maybe a broken reed. So it's yeah. Well, it's. It's not broken yet. It could be easily broken. It could be. Yeah. Just like you. Now, my translation is a smoldering wick. What did yours say? A, smol a smoking flax he will not quench. Okay, so think of smoking flax or in mine, a smoldering wick. So when I think of that, the smoking flax, um, and I could be all wrong here, but it seems to me that, that uh, they used to burn a lot of stuff in yeah. ovens. And does that have yeah. something to do with this smoking well, flax? If you think about a smoldering wick or a, a flax, you think about when you're burning, like when you see straight straw being burned, it's not necessarily flame you're seeing. It's it, that's why I think the smoldering wick is an easier image for us. A smoldering wick, what does it look like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're both going like this. Just like that, right? Is it a flame? No. No. Is no, it it's still like, lit? So it's 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 barely lit. Yeah. Okay. So a smoldering wick. It, there's still got that little red on it. It's making that smoke. It's smoldering. Hey, Randy, how are you? Hey, Randy. Come on in. I'm here too early for the uh, cooking. Oh, they're not cooking now? You can cook well, they don't need me. Well, then grab a Bible There's and join Bible. us. Yeah. Okay. We're in Matthew 12. Okay. Welcome back. So the idea of a, of, a, of a smoldering wick, it's very easy to be put out, right? It's just so is that what your version says, a, a smoking? Yeah, mine's uh, a smoldering wick. Mine's a smoking. But smoking flax is the same idea. It's just not an image that most of us have seen as often as a smoldering wick. Smoking okay. flax is it's the same thing it's that little red on the end that's just sort of slowly burning you get a little bit of smoke talking about growing the your faith little by little because I, I mean he's not he's not going to put it out but that smoke the smoking flax or the smoldering can always start to grow again yeah but don't take it too much out of context i mean this is one verse that's often taken out of context You'll see if you if you go to Baker Bookstore, you will find all kinds of plaques that say he will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. And taken out of context, it's kind of like you said, we get weak, but God is not going to knock us when we're down. When we're a smoldering wick, he's not going to snuff us out. But look so, at the context. So he wasn't totally revealing himself by the, the, the miracles he could do or curing people he wanted people to grow their faith and understand him in addition so to look down that's a good guess we'll look down at what he's saying and it gives you a different idea Where are you now go back to 18 and 19 behold my servant whom i've chosen my beloved whom i'm well pleased i'll put my spirit upon him so that's what god is doing that's how he's seeing christ okay. but then he gets to what jesus is going to do and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles, he will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name will the Gentiles hope. So when you, he's saying declare justice to the Gentiles, what does he mean? Declare justice to the Gentiles. So what's justice? Judgment. Uh, you typically think of ju justice, it's what is due, what's right. If somebody brings justice, they were wronged, and now we're going to right the wrong. So he's bringing them into the picture. Yes. Into is the this fold. still the... Then, is but this then still... he says, 
sends forth justice to victory, then, I mean, then it's completed when they understand. And then what's he going to do? What's the, what's implied? Until he sends forth justice to victory and in his name, the Gentiles will trust. Right. So in other words, there, there's something going on that Jesus is doing that's related to this healing and telling people not to tell everybody. And that this is to fulfill the, what was spoken by the prophet. He is doing something in order to get to what? To justice being proclaimed to the Gentiles, bringing justice to victory. So it completes it actually where justice is going to win. Sometimes justice doesn't win. But he's going to bring it to victory. And in his name will the Gentiles hope. That's the end game here. The end goal. He wants... What's that, Alan? I was going to say, are you still talking about the same question about um, why he didn't want his identity to be known? Yes. What was the healing and the order not to say it? How does that fulfill what was spoken by the prophet? That's our question. In the, in the, the Orthodox Study Bible, um, it's it says a couple of things, but one thing it says... Um, Jesus' desire to evoke the response of faith. He wants people to discover his identity for themselves. He didn't want right. to tell them. Yeah. So that's that's sort of the sort of the overarching idea. He doesn't tell them, don't go out and say I'm I've healed you, because then they will only think that he came to heal. And what are they going to do? Bring more people for him to heal. He has something bigger in mind. Okay, and what's the bigger in mind? This is where Isaiah, where Matthew's telling us, Isaiah told us all about this. He knows, he, Matthew knows why Jesus is saying don't tell people. And here's the answer all the way back from Isaiah. So based on this, what is Jesus's ultimate goal? We know he has other goals and other things, but in terms of what this section of Matthew is telling us, what is Jesus's goal? It's not just to heal people. To draw people to him. Yes. Which people? Bring bring justice. The Gentiles. Yes. In other words, everybody. We the people of, of the Hebrews, the Jews, understood that God was working to draw them to him. They understood that. What they didn't understand is that from the beginning, God's goal is to bring everyone to him. And that's why twice in these three verses, you have the Gentiles being mentioned. So whenever you hear Gentile, don't think of it as, um, you know, one more section of people. It's going from some people to everybody. You only have Jews and Gentiles. Right. So there's the Jews, which is a very small set, and the Gentiles, which is everyone else. Yeah. Okay. So his goal is that something's be brought to everyone else. Justice. And so go back to that bruising, bruised reed in a smoldering wick. So are Gentiles non-believers? They're non-Jews. Okay. Now, what he's trying to say is he wants to bring them into the, the category of the believers okay. in him. Okay. Because the Gentiles at that point were all believers in other gods. The Roman gods or Sumerian gods or whoever. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. There you go. So, so with that idea, go ahead. This isn't the first time in Matthew where he's told um, people that he's healed not to say anything. Right. Right. Isn't the man at the uh, the fountain? Yep. Told not to say anything, and when they asked him who healed you, he said, "Oh, the guy is gone now." <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's it's it's a good reminder. It's we're going to hear it a lot. Because if you think about it, we all have this question. When we get sick or someone else gets sick, we pray for their healing. And we go back to the gospel say, well, Jesus healed that guy. Why isn't he healing me? Why isn't he healing my sister? Why isn't he healing my wife? We still have stuff. Right. So that's where, again, Matthew is not just talking to an audience 2,000 years ago. He's talking to us and saying, don't get this wrong. Yes, I'm healing people. And why am I healing people? To show you who I am, but this, 
I, mean, I didn't come to just make some people feel better and now I'm going to leave again. Here we're seeing what his goal is. And he's saying it's not just um, a new idea. This is from Isaiah hundreds of years before. And again, if you look at that verse 20, he will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick till he brings justice to victory. In other words, there's something very delicate coming on that if he were to crush it too quickly, even though it's very delicate and small, he's not going to get to his goal. So again, when you see that, that verse quoted out of context, the idea is, oh, God's not going to, like, I'm, I'm, I feel like that smoldering wick. God's not going to snuff me out. That's not his saying. His saying is there's a very delicate thing coming here. He's going to not crush it until what? Until he's ready to proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And because of what he's doing, in his name, the Gentiles are going to have hope. That make sense? Mm -hmm. Matthew's always going to try to change our intention, understanding of what Christ came to do, and therefore what we're looking for from him. Because we could just as easily get the idea, oh, he healed that person. He came to heal. I want him to heal. Now he's not healing, and now I'm disappointed. Well, he didn't want to come just to be healer. How do we know that? He healed people, told not to tell people. And then Matthew's going to help us out by quoting this prophecy from Isaiah. Yes. Kind of off topic, but how did the um, Pharisees deal with the Gentiles? I mean, how was that? How did they, did they interact with each other? No. Not at all. So, so they had commandments not to do very much. They couldn't sometimes do kind of commerce. They couldn't bathe near them. So they didn't want to they eat. eat with them. So, so when Jesus was doing, like when he was by the synagogue or in the synagogue last week when he mm -hmm. took care of the man with the withered hand, there would have been no Gentiles around there. No. So, like, how is he, he's still telling them don't say anything, but it, he ultimately needs to get them into the fold. So he's got to overcome the Pharisees. Were one thing, mm -hmm. and then attract the Gentiles. Yes, very astute. Yes, he's threading a needle, and you'll see this later on when I think it's the Canaanite woman who's calling after him to heal, and he turns her and says, "I didn't come, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel." Well, how do you square that with this? Wait a minute. You're saying you come to the lost sheep, or you're saying you're not going to? Uh, you know, quench the wick until justice and come to the Gentiles. It seems like a contradiction. Well, he's coming to do both. But he's not going to leave the Jews behind and say, well, you had your chance. I'm coming for the Gentiles. He's going to complete everything the Jews were looking for. And for those that were, had open eyes and hearts, they'll see that that's coming from him. But the rest of the New Testament, once you get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the rest of the New Testament, we'll put Revelation aside for a minute, is really all about how do you incorporate these Gentiles? So if you go to the book of Acts, which is the first one after the Gospels, you're going to see Peter understanding Jesus's ministry and as a newly uh, baptized Christian, he's going to be eating with Gentiles. I don't really until have a problem with that. Until, yeah, until others come around, then he pulls back. And then St. Paul goes after him. And he says, I confront him to his face. So that tension between how to incorporate Gentiles and Jews together in this new community is going to be an issue in Acts and all of the epistles. Almost all of them are going to deal with that issue. We heard Father. this past Sunday, circumcision. That's another, that's another instance of that. So um, Peter's uh, vision about the sheet coming down with the yes. animals inside and it says, um, kill and eat. And yeah. he's like, I've never ate anything unclean. And so it's very interesting uh, that at that point, he's wondering, uh, what does that mean? And he figures it out. So that's a yep. really great passage. In many, many ways, the only new thing in the New Testament 
is the incorporation of the Gentiles. That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't do anything important. Yes, what he did was new in the sense that he comes and he teaches the ministers and he conquers death and his death and resurrection. That's that's new. But even that isn't as new as we imagine. Because the Jews understood that God was a merciful, forgiving God. Jesus comes to show that in the most profound, unmistakable way. People don't want to make the mistake. It's unmistakable. And it's for everybody. Right? When the veil of the temple gets torn in two, that's one of the symbols of now access to God is open to everybody. That doesn't mean that he wasn't doing something very carefully thought through in his work with the Hebrew people. He did. But that was always through for the purpose of blessing the nations. And when they didn't listen, sometimes he used the nations. There's a, a couple uh, sections of Isaiah and other prophets where God uses the other nations to correct Israel. And it's clear that it's God doing it. So they should have seen all along that we're here for the whole world. We're not here just for ourselves. But that's the mistake they're going to make. And so he's going to try to correct that. And some of them still don't think that uh, he is who he said he was. Correct. Correct. Let me read you a couple of quotes from uh, some early church writers on this. Um, about This is about um, what Jesus is doing is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. This is from St. John Chrysostom. Then, so that you might not be troubled at the events and their strange frenzy, Jesus reminded them of the prophet who had predicted them. For so great was the accuracy of the prophets that they did not omit even these little matters. For they foretold his travels, changes of place, and the intent with which he would act, that he might learn that they spoke by the Spirit. If human secrets cannot be easily discerned, how much more difficult is it to discern Christ's purpose, except when the Spirit reveals it to us. As he says in there, I'll put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Um, here's another section on this idea of bringing forth justice to victory. When Christ has completely fulfilled his own part, then we are told he will also bring down upon unbelievers his final judgment. When he has left them no contradicting arguments, however shameless, when they will then believe in his wondrous glory. For he knows how to say that justice is a judgment, but his dispensation will not be confined merely to the punishment of unbelievers. He will also proceed to win to himself the nations of the world. So he added, in his name will the Gentiles hope. Then to inform us this too is proceeding according to the purpose of the Father from the beginning, the prophet has given us this assurance together with what he has just said. This is my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. For it was very clear that the beloved committed these actions according to the purpose of the one who loved him. You know, it's a good point because it's this idea of proclaiming justice of the Gentiles in his name of the Gentiles of hope. This was not a New Testament quote, Right. It's being quoted in the Testament from the Old Testament. In other words, they should have known this. This was Isaiah having prophesied it hundreds of years before. They just weren't connecting the dots. Yeah, and why not? Um, what kept I, them? I, because I think that they were looking for someone more like David. And um, Christ really didn't fit that david okay. character and why were they looking for somebody like david um because uh dave they looked at david as a savior i guess you know david was a warrior and their king and um am i on the right track here is that what you're looking for <laughs> and why do they want that um because they wanted somebody to beat up their enemies and um, you know the the jews were overtaken several times yep so they had their own end goal in mind they wanted their enemies gone 
whether in the Old Testament we're talking about the Babylonians or the Persians or the Assyrians or in the New Testament, the Romans, or I would add in our day, if you're a Democrat, the Republicans, the Republican, the Democrats, or if oh, you're don't go there. <laughs> you know, Ukrainian, the Russians, or Russians, Ukrainians, if we decide what we want and then we try to shoehorn God into what we want, we're doing the exact same thing. And the whole message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is you don't set the agenda. That's the God telling us. I will set the agenda. I will tell you what I'm here to do. But he doesn't. What's that? But he doesn't. No, he does. We don't hear it. It's all there. We don't hear it. Why don't we hear it? Because we don't try hard enough. Because we have our agenda. I can think of lots of reasons. Yeah. But it's hard to hear. Because we have our agenda. And when our agenda conflicts with God's agenda, we think something's wrong with God. Right? I don't think we all have Not agenda. personally. I mean, I don't happens? personally think something's wrong with God. But I don't hear And that's just an I think I have a lot of time. I, I, I would, if I could press each and every one of us, including myself, I would get us all to admit that we've heard everything we needed to hear and we just didn't want to do it bad enough. We were not ready to let go of our agenda and let God set the agenda. There's truth to that, too. Okay. Yep. Yep. Anybody want to take me on? She's walking away. <laughs> exactly. See, Kenai knows. Kenai knows the truth. Come here, girl. Father, I have a question. Yes. So, okay, thinking, you know, we know how the Jews thought in biblical times. So today, why are they still holding on to that? It's like they haven't seen the light. You know what I mean? Because they have their idea of what the Messiah would be. And that hasn't changed for them. Hundreds well, of years later, and they haven't... They haven't been influenced. They they still are holding on to that original idea. Yeah, I would say it's changed over time as their needs have changed. My guess is they have redefined, as all of us do, we redefine what the Messiah should be yeah. based on what we think God should do. So I mentioned in my, my sermon, I guess it was last Sunday, yeah, 9-11. Most people say God should have moved those planes out of the way and not let them hit the buildings. If you, if you press them, you'd say that they'd, they'd be honest and say most people, they'd say somehow God missed that one. Because how do you answer? How does God allow something so horrible to happen? Those poor people, they were just going to work like they did every day, and he lets a plane fly into the building. I have an answer for that, and I've said it for years. What's that? God's sick of us. We've That's not the answer either, though. We've destroyed this planet. We've killed each other. We're heartless. We're soulless. We don't follow him with our hearts. So, he's sick of us. So you might say he's sick of us. Look at all that we've done. And now, boom, he's going to let us have it. Even that is our desire to place on God who he is and what he does. And how do I know that it's not true? Because God's loving and forgiving. And how do we know that most clearly? Christ on the cross. Jesus crucified, if we allow it to, is always going to correct any misconception. Whether we say that God is asleep at the switch or we say God is getting back at us, the cross, Jesus on the cross, is going to say, you don't get it. Because you can't argue with Christ on the cross in terms of what the unmistakable message is, which is, I love you to the point where I will take this on. Rather than you Christ. having to deal with this. Christ. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. Yep. Yeah. He wasn't going to sleep at the switch when he met the passengers of the other planes, got the planes away from the hijackers mm -hmm. and crashed them away from people. Like 93 or whatever. Yeah. 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 I don't know. That's the saddest thing. I don't know if God has anything to do with any of that, honestly. I think uh, man is inherently kind of evil. And, no, no. Well, and again, 
we're in a Bible study. What does the Bible say? The Bible does not support the idea of us being inherently evil. What it does support, because we, if we're honest, we see ourselves in everything we read. We're the ones who continually choose not to let God set the agenda and obey his agenda. We set ours, even in religious context, we'll, we'll develop a context that says, this is what God should do. And either assume he's doing it, what we think, or that somehow something's not right with God. To the point where people will deny his even existence. Most people today, at least growing numbers, I shouldn't say most, but growing numbers is probably almost a plurality, I would guess. It's a guess. Because they don't like what they've heard God has said. Somebody says, well, this is what God says. And they don't like that anymore. They'll even deny his existence. Because they have a higher truth of what they think this world should be like. Okay, so when that happens... Not necessarily just on an in, that individual's basis. Mm -hmm. What what happens to that person in God's eyes when they've denounced God or they've rejected Him? He so, still loves and forgives. Yep. Um, yep. Until the judgment. Yep. And what happens at the judgment? Does He stop loving? No, but we're judged on what we've done. Yes. So He loves us enough. To let us choose the state in which we're going to spend the rest of eternity. He says, I'm going to give you your life from beginning to end. That's your time to choose. Remember, this is Matthew, part of the New Testament, part of the Bible. This is God revealing himself to us and saying, here's who I am. You decide what you want to do with that. I mean, imagine it's a pretty humble thing for God to do. And then he says, you decide, and I'm going to love you enough to let you choose how you want to spend the rest of eternity. One of the hardest <clears throat> concepts for us to understand is that this idea, it's an old patristic idea of the fathers, that the people are in hell because they choose to be. And our logical mind says, why would anybody choose to be in hell? Right? It doesn't make any sense. If you look and you go, well, I can be in heaven or I can be in hell. Of course, I'm going to choose heaven. Road. Yes. And it's the easier route. It's it takes easy. less discipline, takes less conscience. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> and, and how's the proof that people choose it? We all choose it all the time. Not all the time. We choose it a lot. The wrong force, you mean? Yeah. We, we choose yeah. to live in the suffering of hell now versus the blessedness of heaven now. Anytime we're miserable. I say this all the time, right? Yeah. Suffering isn't optional. Suffering is going to come with life. It's a fallen world. Misery is always our choice. And each of us, in our own different ways and to different degrees, choose misery. Why would we do that? Because that's what we do with our free choice. We don't have to. If we're miserable, it's our choice. It's, it's our choice to say, well, I could look at it this way and... Be happy with God's providence and God will take care of me. And whatever he wants to do is fine with me and I'm happy. I'm suffering, but I'm happy. Or to go, it shouldn't be like this. Why is the world like this? Why isn't God doing this? Whether we say it out loud or not. And now we're miserable. And the saints for us are always, it's like holding a mirror up, right? The saints? Yeah, because they show us what it looks like when... People are suffering, but don't choose misery. Most of the saints are there because they're martyrs and they've had hellish lives. Okay, so perfect example, right? The martyrs, right? Yeah. They were given the chance to avoid suffering. Right. Just announce Christ and go home and have a good meal and whatever. They choose suffering, but it didn't mean choosing misery. I follow you, but it's that's a hard act to follow. That's a tough fork in the road. Okay, but is it is our is our choice when we choose misery? Is it any easier? <laughs> we think it's misery. easier. Uh, think how hard we work at being miserable. I suppose you know the stakes are a lot less for us, I think, too, than they were for the saints. But yeah, it's not as clear. Yeah. That's good. Let's go. Is that for us, Alan? No, I'm not confused. But I, I, what else? Say anything. Okay. What if 
others' view of how God should be is what is causing your suffering. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Suffering or misery? <laughs> what if the other's view of how God should be affects you? Affects you, and you can't. I don't know how to say this. How, if you suffer because of it, come to terms with it. Suffer that that that, be, that you are trying to be as close as you can be, mm -hmm. but other people want it their way, and yet, mm -hmm. and you're faced with that. Yeah. You're going to suffer, but you don't have to be miserable about right. it. Let's go back to Matthew 5. I'm going but to what if it is hurting you? I know you used to be miserable, but if it's so hurtful that it's making you suffer. If it's somebody else, why does it affect you like that? Is it because this person is close to you? Definitely not. Okay, so let's go back to Matthew 5. Is it part of loving your neighbor? That's you see that you should be sacrificing for them because they feel like this is the way things okay. Should be. So, back in, in Matthew 5, remember the Sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. what we call the Beatitudes, yeah. plus the poor in spirit, plus the mourn, and then the last part blessed are you, not cursed are you, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account. That's the one. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you're going to suffer if this is happening. What you just read, you're going to yeah. suffer. Yeah. And when you do, what's the proper response? Yeah. And that but is so. Linda. Why? Okay. <laughs> Blessed are you when they revive and persecute you. So are they doing that? Is that what's happening in your life? Is that why? Is this actually a thing? Or are you just hypothetically asking a question? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's okay. But if it happens, because it probably happens to so all of us. I, I have so a lot of friends who are non-believers. So no, I'm me. not talking about non-believers. Okay. So many times, and I've said this in the class, and you got me on the stage. Time after time after time, <laughs> and I say, Father, edit it. What do you do? And I haven't said this in front of you. What if you do? What do you do if somebody is consistently rude to you, but you cannot avoid being with them in order to be close to God in the church? So why would you avoid it? If it's a blessing, why would you avoid it? wants to be talked to according to jesus if you're going to follow him and you doing something for him in the way he's told us to live and you suffer for it his commandment is rejoice and be glad and actually they're defining how you can rejoice yeah and that's not by you holding on to his way remember his way this is matthew it's going to end up in chapters 26 and 27 at the cross. Rejoice and be glad that you get to even play a small, you get to experience that in the slightest way. Rejoice and be glad. Why? They did the same thing to the prophets. Here we are talking I know, about Isaiah. I, I know that, but I've asked you that. I said, when people say something means, or, and sometimes you say they don't know they're mean, but I said later, mm -hmm. you said to me, staff, sometimes they know they're yeah. being mean, they're yeah. being snotty. Yeah. Why do it? Why? That's that's for them. They're going to have to answer that. If you face their nastiness and you return nastiness, now, even in your own heart, now you're on their side of that bad judgment. But my response is to turn away and walk away or leave. Well, I don't... he would say to you, we already said, I think, what chapter was it? 10 or 11. Um, walk another mile, turn the cheek. He doesn't say walk away because why? You're going to miss a blessing. That's like saying, here's a, here's a winning lottery ticket. You want it? Oh, no, I'm good. 
take it, take the blessing. And if the blessing the comes blessing with suffering, the blessing, the blessing comes with, you know, degradation or whatever. Yeah, but she says that's a good thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, but here on earth, it's not such a good If you go to your doctor and you say, what should I do? I, I, what should I do? He says, eat better and exercise. Right. I don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> So I could say, forget you, you and keep choice. eating McDonald's and never get off the couch. And so everything is going to be, all the good things are always going to be harder, involve suffering. And yes, always a choice. And how you choose to pursue whatever obstacle is thrown at you, that's determine your closeness to God. Yeah. 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 And that's a choice Which too. You're absolutely I, free. I, I, 90% of the time, Father, I take that easier course. Just, yeah. you know, I have a friend who says, you know, I told her I make stuff out of wood. You know, God made the wood and I make furniture. Jesus, uh -huh. why do you put it on God? And yeah. it's like, because he did. Right. right. And I'm not going to contest it with you. Right. I'm not going to get into something with you. Right. But, you know. You're absolutely free to look at that, and she, she's free to look at it the other way. Right, and I just all this cosmic accident. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to change you. It's like politics. You're not going to change anybody's mind. Just look at them and say, "Yeah, okay, right," and go your own little way. Yep. And some people would say it's hard to believe the things that we believe, right? To believe oh, that right. God created all this. Yeah. They would say it's hard to believe. Yeah. There's not evidence for a lot of it. Okay. I, I would say, if you look at the world as it is and look at what it took for that to happen just start with the fact that earth had to be a certain closeness to the sun but not too close that without that slight tilt on the axis where the earth rotates that we don't get the same change of seasons that bring us through bringing more water at certain times and less water at others and all that that the seasons provide. And even if, for whatever reason, we will debate the temperature goes up and over certain centuries, it goes down other centuries. Yeah, there's a lot to contend with, but it, there, it all is a self-contained system that we, that we can live off very basic things that this earth produces, fruits and vegetables. All of that is so unlikely. To have just happened by chance. Right. So for me, that's the harder thing to believe. But again, it gets back to what perspective do I want to choose? It's not objectively harder to believe in God because it's hard to believe either way. Yeah. But if I don't want to live in a world where there is a God because of I have my agenda, I want to live my life. I don't want to be guilty. I don't want to submit to someone else. It Because of that, it could be hard to believe in God. It's not objectively harder we make it harder and then you take it to the christians because we've seen everything we've been given every opportunity to see everything from his point of view and we still struggle all of us and it's always going to be what's the context that we choose that's why even to get back to this section we could have if we didn't have Matthew 12, 15 to 21, we could have said, oh, there's Jesus healing all those people. And then when we don't get healed or somebody loved doesn't get healed, now we're in a crisis. Well, Matthew's going to correct it and say, that's not what it's about. That shows you that there's something special here. But where is that supposed to go? Not just to more people getting their illnesses healed. It's getting to the place where in his name, everyone will have hope. Under what circumstances? Any circumstances. You can't let anybody take away your hope. Right. You can. You look at the no, world. you can't. You can. People do it all the time. Take away your hope. Where's that part about leaving with your peace, P-E-A-C-E, Father? Don't yeah, but it's always going to be your choice. It's never going to be automatic. So does that mean leaving? If that for most people, for a lot of people, yeah. Not leaving God, leaving the situation that's Hurting your peace, P-E-A-C-E. <laughs> According to Jesus, your external circumstances will never determine your peace. It's always going to be, according to Matthew, the orientation of your heart to the point where uh, the saints, every, every saint has their story of how 
there were external reasons that they could have walked away from God and gotten peace physically, emotionally, politically, but not spiritually. Because spiritually, God is within and, giving you everything you need. And you never separate yourself from God spiritually because he's here. Well, this is why we choose to live in hell so often. You can't leave God, but you can sure try. <laughs> we all do every day. Because if you recognize the presence of God and you put that next to whatever you're struggling with, financial difficulties, problem in a marriage, problem with a neighbor, problem with a job, whatever our problems are, it seems so huge. And you put that next to the fact that the almighty God is dwelling inside me. If I really believe that, could anything take away my happiness? If I really believe that, no. So we're all real non-believers because we all we're all struggling. Because we get we're all struggling. Because we get hurt. Because we get hurt, or we feel like things aren't right. You know, no. Show me anybody, even you. I that you're always at peace with everything. No. Hell no. But I should be, and I could be. Yeah. And I could. We can't. There's too many external things. No, that's a, that's a, but compare, put it on the scales. Add on every terrible thing that I could put on the circumstances of my life on this side. And over here is the almighty God who's chosen to dwell in me. Now, I can say that to a certain degree, I believe it. And when I really believe it, it doesn't matter what I stick in that thing over there. The, the love of God in my heart is going to outweigh all of that a billion times over. Okay, so I know God loves me, and I believe it. Personally, really. I'm not just, this isn't okay. hypothetical. But I still have these little things that just gnaw away at me. And, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I don't get back to sleep. Okay. And they're stupid things, and I know they're stupid. And I look at my life, and the good side way outweighs the bad side. Okay. But I still don't have that peace in my heart and soul. Because you, like the rest of us, are still seeing it like this. And it's not about trying to reframe this, the sickness, the difficulties. It's really going to the depths of what does it mean that God is with me so in my heart. So definition in my heart, how I'm going to feel. It's going deeper and deeper and deeper till this part is like, no. I watched a video. You should all Google, what's the guy that was in Downton Abbey? Hugh, Hugh, what? What's his name? Bonneville. Bonneville. Oh, actually, Google Mormon Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It is well. You know that the Protestant hymn is well with my soul. Yeah. It's an old Protestant hymn. Yeah. I never heard it either until I saw the video. Right. It is well with my soul. And what they do, it's a Christmas show from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir in Salt Lake City. Right? It's a story of the guy who wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Okay. Right? Have I told you this already? No. So the story is. Did you write that down for me? What is it? It Is Well With My Soul. The story is there is a, a man and his wife, and they're going to go to Europe. I don't know if they're moving there. I can't remember the story exactly. And the wife goes on ahead because the husband has business to do. And she's with the four daughters. And the ship collides with another ship. This is a true story. And they tell the story of how one by one she lost the, all of the kids in the sinking of the ship. Mm. Okay. So now she gets to London, wherever she's getting to. And she sends the telegram or the message, whatever it is, that she's a sole survivor. They had four children. All four, including little, little girls, all four died. She's the only one left. And they tell the story of how each of them, now across the ocean, still from each other, had the most enormous grief. Imagine losing four children all at once. They had the most enormous grief, but both of them had the sense of, God, you're in charge. Mm. And the, the response, the response, his prayer was, his phrase, it says, it came to him. It is well with my soul. I mean, you think losing four kids, what could be well with your soul? But that's, and then he writes this beautiful hymn. 
Then they have a couple other kids. One of those kids dies. Oh my. And so the, the, the story is that he tells it. He, he's telling the story and the choir is singing. It's very dramatic. Um, they end up moving to the, to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, to set up all these wonderful charities for sick people, for poor people, for all these different things. And then they end up, during World War II, I think it was, setting apostles on both sides of, of the conflict. So again, it's... It doesn't seem possible, but it's absolutely possible that you could stack all of the difficulties of life and the love of God outweighs all of them where it's not even a fair contest. Mm -hmm. But we're the ones that do this. Is it because we don't feel God's presence? It's because we still, to some degree, are holding to our agenda. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to say, God, you're the boss, and I trust you. Remember, we've talked, and I'll keep reminding everyone, we say, I believe in one God. It's not, I believe you exist. It's, I put my trust in you. And so you take whatever difficulty we're, we're dealing with, and you say, but God, I trust in you. I'm scared about this, and I'm mad about that, and I'm ticked off about this. I'm disappointed in that. What all, you put all of that together, and you go, but I trust you. And we'll see life differently. The problem is we don't, we trust him a little bit. We don't trust him with the rest. And then we're stuck in hell. <laughs> we're stuck with the, with the, with the misery. Okay. You tell us that over and over and over, and I still can't apply it. <laughs> well, you also apply it a lot. Yes. I'd like to mention that believers, even in Jesus's day, had a hard time with that. Like um, when they sent for him to, to heal someone and someone died, I can't remember if it was the little girl or if it was Lazarus. And um, didn't Martha come to him and say, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus, right. and Jesus says to, to her that, <coughs> that he wanted to show, show the, the blessings of the father through him dying. Right? Yep. Yep. And since we're studying Matthew, go to the very end, or the very end of the story. So it's the chap chapter 28. We just read this, I think, on, no, two weeks ago, we read this on Sunday morning. And go to the end of the chapter, close to the end, verse 16. So Matthew 28, 16. This is the end of the story. So we've seen Jesus do all kind of more miracles. We've already seen him do back in chapter 12, where we are now. We've seen him be arrested. We've seen him be killed. We've seen him risen again. We've seen him appear multiple times to the disciples, multiple times. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. But some doubted. Wow. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. In other words, the story is going to end, and we're going to find ourselves even in the story there where, yeah, we believe, but still we're doubting. And I would say you could say it as some doubted. And I would say we all doubt some. <laughs> Even you? Even me. When you see me walking 10 feet above the ground all the time, <laughs> and when you never worry about everything, you'll know I've arrived. <laughs> I guess really. Until then, we're all struggling. Wow. Thank you, Father. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Father. God willing, we're back together next Thursday, 10 a.m. God willing. Can you go bake now? I, I was here, yeah. I think they just want me to clean up at the end. Oh, I thought you were going to bake. See, see you all. Thank you. Bye. Have fun Bye. if you're doing golfing. Yes, we'll miss you if you're not. <laughs> you have time for the... Um,